Hello, friends. Welcome to the inside of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. I'm your host, Pam Pastor. This series originated because of the core connection that my husband, Matt, and me share in Christ. In looking for a vehicle to highlight the amazing teachings and learnings from the Bible, this podcast was born. Already having a book that taught about the Word of God and offered sound biblical doctrine made this transition naturally easy for me. God's word is deeply rooted and planted in the good soil of my heart. So if you found your way inside, welcome again. It's an honor that you're joining me today and peeking through the lens of the many possibilities of Jesus. You know, we've all heard of the warning cries about Samson and Delilah. It's an Old Testament biblical story that comes out of the book of Judges. But in order to better understand Samson, first, we must come to just who in the world he was. And the Bible breaks down his life into key events. First, we look at his birth, his Philistine wife, his defeat over the Philistines, Samson and Delilah, and then finally, Samson's death with the Philistines. So he had quite a life. When Samson enters onto the scene in the book of Judges, the silence is deafening. There are no cries out to God for help. The people were so far removed from God, the thought to ask him for help didn't even register with them. Now, as alarming as this was, the people didn't even recognize their own sin, nor make any public acknowledgement about it. Israel thought they were merely living the good life, unaware to the fact that they were losing their identity as a nation. Doesn't that sound familiar today? Although no evidence exists of Israel crying out to Yahweh to be delivered among their apathy or apparently sorrowless heart. God still would intervene on the behalf of his beloved by dispatching a deliverer into their midst. This deliverer was placed into the middle of their callousness and their evil. And this would prove to be no easy deliverance. And of course, I'm talking about Samson, who was the deliverer who had come to save them. Samson was Israel's final judge, and as a judge, he was able to stiffen this morally decaying nation, but he also would be the epitome of special privileges for furtherance of his personal desires. For many, God shows us just how mysterious his ways truly are. You see, we become interested as we peer into biblical accounts that are shrouded within curiosity. What I mean by this is when we read Judges chapter 13, verse 5, we learn that it says, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Philistines. In case you've heard of Nazarites or the Nazarenes but are not certain what the term means, it's this according to Numbers chapter 6 verses 2 through 8. When either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take a vow of a Nazarite 
to separate himself to the Lord. He shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean, even for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. You see, we see from the text that the Nazarite vow was somewhat similar to what fasting is today if you weren't born into it as Samson was, and it involved pulling away from ordinary pleasures and being more fully devoted to God and his work. So in this case, we see, we can recap, so no drinking from the wine or the vine, so they have to be separated from that, cannot touch a dead body, and cannot cut their hair. So in Amos, the prophet records in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is it not so, O you children of Israel, says the Lord? But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Do not prophesy. God's people were being tempted to sin. He had been faithful in his provision to Israel by including military victories, deliverances, and spiritual leadership. But as we've discussed, a part of the consecration or setting apart of a Nazarite was to drink no wine, yet Israel was spurning God's messengers by tempting them to sin. This caused Amos to prophesy judgment against Israel. God's expectation is for us to respect our fellow human beings who are made in his image. This is consistent with the teachings of Jesus, who said that the whole law could be boiled down to two principles, love God and love your neighbor. Unless a person was born into the vow of the Nazarite by divine appointment, such as Samson or John the Baptist, then the Nazarite vow is a voluntary commitment a man or a woman makes to the Lord. This isn't a desire to be dedicated or separated to him for his good pleasure. The period of the vow was usually brief, perhaps a month. The vow encompassed three particulars, no consumption of wine or anything related to the vine, no cutting of the hair, and no contact with a dead body, even if a family member's remains had to be prepared for burial. The book of Acts chapter 21 verses 24 through 26 indicates that the apostle Paul may have taken a brief Nazarite vow as he was keeping the peace in the city by taking four men to be cleaned up for ritual purification. When the time of consecration was over, the Nazarite was to present a burnt offering symbolizing complete surrender to Yahweh. 
a sin offering to atone for any sins committed unwittingly during the time of the vow, and a peace offering demonstrating that the person and the Lord were in harmony. So why a sin offering? Well, inadvertent sin there, it's as much an affront to a holy God as intentional ones are. The sin offering covered unintentional sins, and this was the first mandatory offering because everyone is deemed guilty. And why a peace offering? Well, peace represents wholeness or completeness. This was a free will offering, an occasion at Thanksgiving. Ultimately, our peace offering was fulfilled through Jesus, whose sacrifice enables believers to have peace with God. We're no longer at enmity with God because of his son, Jesus. Worshippers offered God the best, sending heaven a sweet aroma. And backing up to Samson's birth announcement, we learn that first Gideon heard the word of the Lord directly from the mouth of the Lord earlier in Judges chapter 6. Gideon was a part of Israel's destructive sin cycle. Israel had a self-repeating and destructive period of time that perpetuated its history during the time of Judges. First, the people would sin and God would discipline them through another nation's oppression of them. Then the people would repent and God would deliver them through a judge. But when the judge died, the people would fall back into sins, beginning the cycle again. The Lord would be moved on their behalf again and again. God never winks at sin. Instead, he's moved to forgiveness, even if it's only one of his children moving toward confession. This is what God was wanting, a confession. The Israelites' problem was not their enemies, but it was their disobedient hearts. Repentance always precedes deliverance. And we learn in Judges chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, And the angel of the Lord appeared to a woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And it's important to note right there that it says that he shall begin to deliver Israel. He's not to finish the job. That comes later in the book of Samuel. This establishes, and by David as well, this establishes that Samson was not to take his Nazarene vow lightly. It would be a lifelong commitment. However, Samson violated it abstaining from alcohol, not touching dead bodies, and not cutting one's hair. Samson tore a young lion apart, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion, which he touched. And we're told in Judges chapter 14, verse 10, and Samson gave a feast there for a young, for young men used to do so. This meant a drinking party. 
That's what feast meant. We're told that the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. He was endowed with supernatural strength. This prepared him for the bloody battles with the Philistines. And what we know for sure is that his power did indeed come from God. And Samson's parents were absolutely shocked that he broke the law of Moses by marrying a foreigner as an Israelite man. His excuse in scripture to his parents' complaint is found in Judges chapter 14, verse 3. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She pleases me well. Samson was telling his father, She looked good to him. Scripture, a few chapters later, tells us in chapter 17, verse 6, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, rather than what was right and good in the sight of the Lord. Although Samson disobeyed the law by marrying a Philistine woman, God would use his disobedience for his glory. And again, that was disobeying the law of Moses. God is never responsible for acts of evil, but he is so wise that he uses evil acts to accomplish his good purposes. And earlier we said Samson gave a feast or hosted a drinking party. Well, the Philistines showed up with 13 companions and Samson offered them a challenge He said, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. Now, for three days, they could not explain the riddle, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You've posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you've not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I've not explained it to my father or my mother, so should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. You know, that reminds me of the story that Jesus tells about the persistent widow where the judge who is absolutely not a godly man, nor is he a good man, but he got so tired of the persistence of the widow, he gave in to her request. Well, this is similar. So then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men 
took their apparel and gave the changes of clothing to those who would explain the riddle. So his anger was aroused and he went back up to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Samson had a motive for vengeance against the Philistines. They solved his riddle by seducing his wife, and he had to pay them what he had promised. So under the power of the Spirit of the Lord, he killed 30 Philistines who were enemies of God, and he plundered what he needed to pay his debt. We learn in chapter 15 of Judges that Samson defeats a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey when using the spirit of the Lord that came upon him. And Samson's father-in-law admitted he had taken Samson's wife and given her to Samson's companion. Although Samson's wife had tricked him in order to avoid being burned with fire, she ended up suffering this fate. Anyway, the promises of evil people cannot be trusted ever. Samson did have actions that were motivated by revenge. Specifically, he said, as they did to me, so I have done to them. As a result, he used the strength God had given him for selfish purposes. You see, no victory, friends, in the Christian life is ever won apart from the grace of God's strength working through us. Samson failed to give credit for his strength to God, instead boasting of killing 1,000 men with a donkey's jawbone. This was pride, and it was pride that eventually would be his downfall. After the slaughter, he was parched and in need of water. Once he recognized the victory belonged to God, and he offered up a prayer to God, God would answer his prayer for water. And then Samson was confirmed a judge of Israel for the next 20 years. This brings us up to date where together we're going to read Judges chapter 16 about the story of Samson and Delilah now. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Judges 16. We start with, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told Samson has come there here. They surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying in the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gate post, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried. 
and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, if they bind me securely with new ropes, they have never been used. Then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore, Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep, pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. That he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave his head off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him, put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them and they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. 
Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and one on the other of his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of his father, Manah. And he had judged Israel 20 years. There ends chapter 16. So, you know, at times we may face Samson-like temptations in our lives. However, we're reminded in scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Temptation has this in common. Every person experiences it. While temptation itself is not a sin, even Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, remember? It's when we let our guard down and we yield and give in to temptation that we sin. The extent of temptation, though, is controlled when God allows testing to come into our lives. He promises to limit the kind of test and intensity of it. He knows our limitations and he never allows us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. God provides us with an escape route from temptation. Whenever we're tempted, God has the end of that temptation already in sight. The moment the test begins, the escape hatch is already available. He does not wait to see how we're doing. He provides the means of escape at the very outset. And Samson's life bears this out. A look at the temptations to which he continually yielded reveals that he always had the opportunity to walk away. If only he had walked away from the woman of Timnah, from the harlot of Gaza, or from Delilah. The way of escape was there, but he refused it. In the midst of temptation, all believers have a way to victory in the person of the Lord, Jesus Christ, who empowers them to do what they themselves are not able to do. If God's people try to withstand temptation by our own flesh, we will likely, like Samson, we're going to face temptation, yet unaware that the power of the Lord has departed from us. But if we stay in faith and in fellowship, with the divine deliverer, Jesus, our personal and spiritual battles will be won. Delilah proved to be Samson's downfall. On that hilltop that faced Hebron, Samson demonstrated a supernatural feat, but it was completely self-serving, done in anger to mock the Philistines instead of escaping. Samson's moral weakness and his physical strength were on display there. Samson's enemies knew they could not destroy him in acts of strength, so they did it through his weakness, women. Delilah promised, well, she was promised, 1,100 shekels from each of the five lords, which was a staggering amount in the day. This equated to 550 times the annual wage. 
And you know, seduction is subtle and exposes a person's vulnerability inch by inch. Samson's hair itself had no mystical strength, but Samson was a Nazarite to God, and his long hair was an outward symbol of dedication to the Lord. This dedication is what enabled Samson to do his mighty deeds. What a sad commentary on Samson's character that he gave in to a woman who he knew would use her knowledge against him. The Lord departed from Samson, and now Samson was pathetic. He was paraded through the city as a picture of helplessness. And isn't this what evil people do? They take advantage of people's vulnerabilities, or if something bad occurs to a person, they parade him basically around through manipulation, through slander, through gossip, and through lies, not recognizing what they put out has a boomerang effect and one day will come back upon them. Samson went from a champion of the Israelites to a prisoner of the evil Philistines and a slave to his own sin. And it's sad really to think about the man who lived according to what was right in his own eyes would ultimately lose his eyesight. But no matter how far God's people fall away, the story is never over. His purposes are not jeopardized and the story is not finished. The detail that the hair on his head began to grow again suggests that God would yet work through Samson to accomplish the purpose for which he was born, delivering the people of Israel from the Philistines, or at least beginning to. The Philistines believed it was their god, Dagon, who was responsible for their capture of Samson, but their celebration was short-lived as God's servant would prove God's sovereignty. Amen. The Philistine rulers brought Samson out to perform or to laugh at as they tormented him in his blindness. He was their entertainment. They were short-sighted people. As he stood in between the two pillars... As one who had been humbled, Samson prayed for the opportunity to take vengeance on the Philistines for gouging out his eyes. Samson twisted the pillars off their stone bases, removing their support of the roof and caused its collapse. Samson accomplished more as a deliverer in his death than in his 20 years of judging Israel. And although we learn unfaithfulness on the part of God's people does not prevent God's purposes, it proves tragic for the unfaithful ones in the end. So friends, I hope you enjoyed our story of Samson today. And if you've not been spiritually reborn, God made it clear to enter into the kingdom of heaven. A person must confess belief in his son, Jesus. Listen to what the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. When we place our trust in Jesus, a divine exchange takes place. Jesus takes our sin, making us right with God. Our sin was then placed on to Jesus at his crucifixion. His righteousness is given to us upon our conversion. And while it's true, we can never repay this extraordinary and extravagant gift of kindness back to Jesus. What we can do is show him gratitude by growing in our relationship with him. 
We can make efforts to obey him, deepening our relationship daily. Today, friends, if this is you, I'm imploring you to take action now. Step out boldly in faith and conviction toward the kingdom of God by openly confessing after me. Father God, I come before you repenting of known and unknown sin in my life, meaning I'm changing my ways of thinking acting, and showing up in life. Jesus, you're welcome to take up permanent residence as the king upon the throne of my heart. I'm confessing your shed blood washed away my past, present, and future sins upon that cross at Calvary. Amen. Friends, I really hope you prayed that saving prayer of salvation so that you were saved and born again spiritually. No one knows the measure of our days, and we can't predict what's going to happen around the corner. So make sure that you have an eternal saving salvation, which that eternally, when you accept Jesus into your life, you are etern- You start your eternal life right then and there. You don't have to wait to die for it to start. So your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. Now consider growing in a good Bible-based church to surround yourself with other like-minded believers who will assist you and edifying and building up your newfound faith in Christ. Congratulations and God bless you on making the wisest and most important decision of your lifetime. And friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast is available daily. A special Children's Jesus Talk University podcast airs on Wednesdays. So tune in along with your children four Bible stories that you may be familiar with. Our episodes discuss and share Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, spiritual warfare, how to be joyful, what love in action looks like, as well as the miracles, parables, and the teachings of Jesus's ministry. This is an open invitation for you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark on an adventure of exploration of all things pertaining to Jesus. And if you like this episode, make sure to like and subscribe so you'll get the latest releases as they become available. And friends, occasionally I do reference my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you find the content to be inspiring, compelling, or perhaps you're just wanting to do more of a rigorous deep dive study on your own, you can pick up a copy from my website, pampastorcopywriting.com or Amazon, Barnes and Noble or Dorrance.com. But importantly, if you're unable to afford a copy, write to me. I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands and you won't be disappointed. It is full of God's word and it's waiting for you to read it. So until next time, when we gather, remember you've been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. And Paul gives us a final word from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but rather in the power of God. God bless you. Amen.